Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and picking the right assembly machines. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 367. And if you've been listening to the last couple of episodes, you know what's coming next. The news about May 4th. And any kind of extra news? No, not yet. Okay. <laughs> so, what is, so what is happening on May 4th? Um, Besides it being the fourth day of May, the month of May, um, we're bringing back the MacFab Engineering Meetup. Um, so if you're in the Houston area or for some reason want to visit Houston to come to MacroFab, I would say that would be a pretty lame vacation, but you do you. Um we're basically going to have like a couple talks, um, food, drinks, that kind of stuff. It's like a social networking event. We used to do these all the time years and years ago. And then we kind of like out, we macrofab outgrew our space. Thus, we had to kind of ax the meetup because we just didn't have space to do the meetup. We didn't have yeah, space for a hundred people to show up and, you know, talk basically. <laughs> So, so uh, this will happen at the new HQ at that Macrofab. We at the new it. HQ. Um, we're still kind of working out the kinks of new HQ, but should I'm hoping by May that they're all worked out. Um, just like organization and that kind of stuff, because it's just it's a much bigger facility. It's kind of weird um, having so much space again. It's like when we first moved into uh, Governor Street. Steven, mm-hmm. remember we, we were like, there's no way we're ever going to use all this space. There's so much room. Yeah. And it only took like two years. And then we're like, oh, no, we're out of space. And then we were there for like another four. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> but now you have a big place where you can hold events like this. Yeah, we have our news place. We can hold events again. So we are going to do that again. Okay. And we'll keep talking about it until it happens. Or marketing tells us otherwise. (laughs) Well, and marketing, as we get closer, will also start revealing more information about the actual details. I think they're still working out. Yeah, the May 4th details. Yeah. I think they're still working out like what they're actually going to talk about and that kind of stuff. All right. So our first topic today is a question from our Slack channel, user Eric Smith. I don't know if that's Eric Smith's name or just username, but um, <laughs> actually, we got we got a slew of questions that all, all were were very interesting that I don't know if we've ever talked about before. So we were like, "Hey, this is great. Let's talk about it." Yeah, so we actually never talked about any of this stuff. Um, so Stephen and I, uh, Stephen works for another contract manufacturer. You know, I started Macrofab. So we've both been uh, in the trenches, so to speak, about this topic before. I guess this is something we've never even thought about talking about until Eric Smith asked these questions. Yeah, yeah. So first question that Eric asked was, how do you find new machines for the factory lines? So we're talking about new conveyors, new pick-and-place machines, new ovens, new assembly machines. Just how do you go about finding new machines for your factory. So for me, it's 
it's YouTube um, and going to conferences and shows. That's my two main ways I start. Like when I look at machines, that's what I do. Yeah, I would say I'll second YouTube on that. Uh, I have found a few machines due to YouTube. And mainly that's just going down the rabbit hole of like, okay, we know we need to do something. We know we need a machine to do something. What kind of technology exists? And you start finding the keywords via just watching videos. Yeah. And, that, and listening that, to people talk you, about that stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that, that brings you down the rabbit hole of like, okay, this is the keyword I need to, to look for. Um, I've also had um, a bit of success through resellers and vendors. Uh, so just basically contacting I'm using air quotes, our guy at the, at, at our machine place and being like, Hey, we need a machine that does X. And he's like, I'll get you literature on it. Yeah. That, like they have experience with that process or what you need to do. Thus they yeah. have a machine that might work for you. Right, right, right. That, that's, that'd be useful to have. I don't really, I guess I could call some of the companies that we already done business with. Um, but the trick is if you're starting out new, you don't really have that kind of business connection. So right. it's like figuring that out. And it might be like maybe finding someone, like finding the most local person to you because, you know, it depends. Um, and seeing if there's like a vendor or a distributor of the industry equipment that you're looking for. In this case, like surface mount technology equipments. Um right. Yeah, that would be a good way. Um, but yeah, resellers is... I've never had a really good experience with a reseller, but I've used resellers to go look at stuff. Yeah, yeah, to kind of get ideas and things. Yeah, to get ideas. Um, used equipment has always ended up biting me in the butt. Well, biting you in the butt in terms of you have to do a lot of work to make it happy. Yeah, make it happy. Whereas buying new, the, the problem with buying used is you never know the history of whoever maintained that machine before you. That's the mm -hmm. that's what it boils down to. So mm -hmm. even if it fires up and works fine the first time, you don't know what the maintenance life cycle of that machine was and what's near the end of, you know, its life, like a bearing going out or something. Um, I just remember that reflow oven that we had, that Bravo reflow oven, and how many times I rebuilt that entire machine from the ground up. Well, we redlined that thing 24-7, basically. Yeah. So we bought a... This is back really early Macrofab. We bought a... Our electrovert. First, an electrovert reflow oven. And I would say it was kind of our first big boy oven. Um, it was still not big, but it was like... It was, it was only a four zone. It was only a four zone, but it was like it, it required the pallet, like the the pallet jack to lift it up and move it around. It, so it yeah, was, yeah, it was big. Yeah, it was big ish. I mean, you, you you put it next to like our our Heller ovens that we have that are like seven zones or eight zoners. Mm -hmm. I think I think actually one's like a nine. Anyways, uh, it the I think those the Hellers you could dwarf. lift the lid with just your arms you did it like the hellers have like pneumatic assist assist you uh, press a button and it opens up yeah, yeah 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 so the electroverts in that kind of a category yeah but 
we bought it and we were this was through a reseller they were like yeah this machine totally does lead free reflow and actually yes it has a sticker on it that says it does lead free reflow technically technically you basically the heaters on it have to run at a hundred percent duty cycle and when it's running at a hundred percent duty cycle the fan the inner chamber gets so hot that the fans stop working the convection it, it fans. drastically reduces the um the, the blowers and the and the capacitors lifespan yeah um so replacing bearings replacing capacitors and like we couldn't get these like i was like finding replacement like the fan module we couldn't really buy for uh i mean you, we could buy them but they were like a thousand bucks yeah and that was like more than an order of magnitude more than we wanted to spend on this machine <laughs> and so it's like rebuilding bearings capacitors finding motors that would kind of work and then like adapting them to make them work because <laughs> they were just the wild AC. west days i mean it was it was only 240 volt ac so it's like a motor that would just fit the hole that it would mount in would work right and we just couldn't get anything that would last longer than maybe a couple months and then another motor would go out and the great thing is they would make a, a, a screeching noise so you knew when to go replace it it wasn't just like the board stopped reflowing yeah machine it, it, it would it would swing its uh, it's a swan song at you and then you have to go replace bearings yeah so, um but that was through a reseller which that was through a reseller Okay, uh, practically every machine I've worked at, uh, worked with, has quirks of some sort, right? Like, and and when you go to sell it, you may or may not, you know, need to or tell the the buyer those quirks. I mean, there's certain things where it's like, I don't know if it's important for me to tell you this quirk. You'll figure it out, and that's not me being like unethical in any way. It's just <laughs> like that's just how it goes, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, there's some machines I recently sold where I I disclosed some things to the to the buyer beforehand, just saying like, hey, I just want you to know that like occasionally it does this thing, and if you're buying it, you're buying it knowing it occasionally does this thing, you know. And I I think that's reasonable, but 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 you know maybe there's others where it like. I don't know, maybe something will rattle or something like that. And mm -hmm. You don't necessarily have to tell them that. But but yeah, you don't you don't get that when you go to a reseller. You don't you don't get to discuss that with the yeah, with, with that person. person. Um, it's kind of like buying a used car. But the mm -hmm. thing is, a lot of used car, at least when you, if you buy from like a, a, a dealership, they usually have some like we've done one hundred and forty eight three point inspection on this thing and you're like i have no idea what that means but that sounds good um usually you get if, if you go to a really good dealer they your used car is going to be in pretty good shape um but if you buy from you know joe schmo that you know mile mileage may vary mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah um but you know, you can get really good deals, that kind of stuff. Like our first couple picking places were through resellers as well. We just couldn't afford buying new stuff. Right. Um, and uh, we, we bought our Samsung uh, pick and place. We bought that used seven, eight years ago. And mm -hmm. there has 
been zero things wrong with it. The only thing we've ever had to do is grease the rails. That's basically it. Yeah. It has been a fantastic machine. Yeah, it's... I think it just really depends, and it depends on really the previous person uh, that owned it, and did they properly maintain it? If they properly maintained it, and when it traveled between that person, the reseller, and you, and everything, it was taken care of during shipping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there should be nothing wrong with the machine, but you know, there's always something. It's on you to you know, if you're the buyer, it's on you to yeah. figure that out, you know, or to yeah. assume whatever risk comes with that. But resellers are a great way to go look at a lot of different brands at once because um, right. they will have lots of stuff. Another um, thing that you can that you can learn pretty well from resellers, and I find this to be really useful, and a lot of people I don't really look into this, is accessories that go with the machine that you're going to need. Talk to the reseller about that because um, you could find great deals on pick and place machines but find out that the magazines and feeders are really difficult to get a hold of well that kind of cripples the machine that makes the machine really hard to use because you may have a job that comes up and you need three or four more feeders and they're either very expensive or very hard to find because everyone wants them or whatever reason they're not available uh going to resellers you can see Go, instead of looking at the machine, look at their stock of accessories for the machine. If they have a massive stock of accessories, that might not be the most popular machine out there, but it also might be good because there's availability. Yeah. On the flip side of that, look at your reseller's bone pile too. That's true. Um, remember the the universal GSM we had? Yeah. At MacFab and that reseller had tons of broken GSM machines that they were cobbling together. Yeah, yeah. That should have been a warning flag, but you know, we didn't have money. So you bought what you bought, what you can get. You got what you got. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we ever had a successfully assembled board all the way through on that machine. Ever. Oh, we had a few. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, we didn't have a, that. machine. When you actually machine. think about it, we didn't really have that machine for long. No, it was about maybe less than a year until we finally put on our 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 bank pants and got a loan to buy a Micronic. <laughs> buy a real machine. I shouldn't say real machine, but buy no, a no. better machine. Buy a new machine. You know. Okay. So so here's the thing. What I've found when it comes to buying machines, once you have already been in the game. So in other words, once you've already had. You, some level of machinery and you're ready to buy your next machines. The one of the most important things is just determining what your pain points are and fixing those pain points with the next machine. So what sucked about your old machine, you're looking for the, the, the solution in your next machine for that. And, and for example, we had a paste um, machine that worked plenty fine, but it's, vision was awful and it was very difficult to teach uh and it didn't have any like gerber imports so it couldn't like compare your gerbers to its vision you basically had to get lucky that your boards were made so well that it could see through the stencil and like identify everything well that was a massive pain point we 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 ran into tons of problems with it so the next time we bought a stencil printer we made absolutely sure that the vision was great and it had gerber import where you could suck in a gerber and you could click a few things and it would be like yeah sure i'll go find those through the stencil Mm -hmm. so i've certainly run into that a handful of times 
Um, and and so, basically with the GSM machine, our, our pain point was it not be the GSM. <laughs> yeah, it just didn't really work too well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you guys get mailed catalogs? So Steven says yes to this. I've, are you talking about like catalogs for equipment? Well, I, 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 I have put two points here. I say I get catalogs for auctions, but I don't get catalogs for new machines. So yeah, I get like either. If a company's going out of business, uh, there's there's a few places I'm involved with that will send catalogs. Okay. Of of like here's the things that are being auctioned off, but I don't think I've ever gotten a a, a brochure or a flyer just randomly cold turkey. Be like, do you need a pick and place? You know, I've had emails this? cold cold emails from places yeah. wanting to sell me machines, but never a catalog or anything like that. Um, do I get mailed? I get a lot of supplies, like from random vendors I've never heard of before. Mm-hmm. Um, that's about it on that one, though. But the next one, which is, uh, do you go to conferences? Uh, I haven't gone in a couple of years, but like going to CES, that's a good way to look at machines. If you're looking at buying new machines, going to CES is where you can see all the new tech on uh, placement machines and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, Troy, um, who's a director of engineering here at MacFab, he went to CES this year and he got to look at like a flying probe machine and stuff. Mm, those are cool. Those are really cool. I always like get that like horror movie aspect. It's like, what if your hand was in there and it was like, and it turned on and it started poking you with all those golden needles. <laughs> Have you ever like, seen the uh, automated hand solder machines that are basically the same thing, but it's oh, just solder a soldering iron. iron with a wire with a feed? feed oh, yeah. Yeah. oh, yeah. Those things yeah, are those awesome, are cool. actually. Those are really, I don't, really cool. That doesn't really invoke the same mental image for me, at least. Maybe because it's not sharp. But yeah, I, for, for some reason, I'm like, I, I just like imagine like your hand stuck in that machine and, and it gets turned on and it just like starts jabbing you with and like measuring the resistance of your hand. <laughs> now my yeah, hand I, hurts. I, one of the first <laughs> professional boards I designed, we, um, we had a bunch of rules that I had to apply at the end of the design to be able to make it ready for that. Cause we use that process at RCM and, and mainly what it was, was I had to go in and put exposed pads all over my board for every mm-hmm. single net you had to give a test point and uh, that was a uh, that took me a very long time to do because we had a lot of nets on that board and i wasn't aware that we were designing for that and then at the end they were like hey have you made test points for the flying probe it's like oh no i haven't <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a lot of stuff like that that you don't really you're not aware of until you're aware of it, you know, mm-hmm. until someone asks you the question, Hey, have you done this? <laughs> yeah. So here's the next question. If you find something which could, could be potentially good, how do you evaluate it? Is there something like a trial period with the manufacturer? The answer to that is no, there is no trial periods. Um, for, at least for the big machines, I've gotten trial periods for like desktop style stuff, equipment, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get trial periods. Um, I've gotten trial periods for uh, soldering irons, actually, where a, yeah, a representative irons. will drop one off. 
yeah yeah stuff that seems to be like you can maybe move it, it uh it it can be moved in a cardboard box is about seems to be the limiting factor the moment it has to go on a pallet i've never seen anyone actually give you an evaluation period for it um so yeah research is key and really it's like that salesperson's gotta sell it to you um I know some companies will do where like you can fly out on your own dime to go look at stuff. Like, yeah, they'll have, s- they'll have like a floor model that's functioning. Yeah, uh, floor models. Um, I've I've gone to another facility that like another CM that had a machine that we were looking at, and like basically we contacted like, hey, we look at this and like, yeah, let's find a CM. I, I thought it was a little weird that would allow you to go on their floor, but they, it worked out. Um, didn't buy that machine. <laughs> Cause I, I talked to the operator and the operator's like, this thing's a piece of shit. <laughs> That's funny. Didn't buy it. But again, that was all on your own dime. Like we had to fly out and go do that. Um, it, if, if it's like, you're going to spend like 250 K on some of these machines but you don't get to do like a test drive like you would a car. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's really weird. On um, on uh, some of our really expensive machines, we we let uh, in purchasing it, we did a lot of phone calls with the uh, the manufacturer and we let them do their spiel where they tried to sell it to us and then we had other phone calls where we would write a whole bunch of questions beforehand of, you know, can it do this? And they would say yes. And we would say, how? Explain it to me. Step me through how it accomplishes that. How does it scratch my back? Like, these are the Mm -hmm. must-haves. These are the nice-to-have kind of situations. So we kind of tried to test drive it through just discussing with their application engineers. And that's the big thing is just because they say yes to one, have them explain or show you how especially if it's in your needs to do this list yeah because we're about we're going to get to uh examples of machines you regret purchasing and i got a lot of those Mm -hmm. and a lot of them stem from we would ask the right question but not the right follow-up question yeah 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 right because because you know maybe Perhaps when you ask the question, does it do X, Y, Z? The answer is yes, but there's more to it because maybe you needed to do X, Y, Z and this certain thing, or you needed to do X, Y, Z over and over and over and it can't do that or whatever. Yeah. Basically. Like whenever, whenever we did that, we tended to be happy with our, uh, the, the purchases. Whenever we didn't do that, we tended to get blindsided by something. Mm-hmm. All right. So examples. Yeah. Of what machines, is an example? Yeah. Examples of machines you 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 have purchased and regretted. Yeah. Well, I got one off the bat. Go that for it. Universal GSM taking place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What a piece. Of I junk. mean, but 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 in its credit, it made boards for you guys. It did. Yeah. And it and it bridged the gap between. The desktop thing and your mama, not Mamaki, so your um, uh, oh, Micronics. Gosh, what is it? Micronics, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Th- 
So the, we already talked about that machine, so let's skip that one for now. And we already talked about the reflow oven that was garbage. Um, we have a x-ray machine. And I can't remember what whose it's by. Um, it's a South Korean company. Um, man, I can't remember what it's called. But it's like an XI-5000. So if you like Google XI-5000, you can find the manufacturer. Um we needed to get an x-ray machine, but the people, th- this is the thing. It should really be the engineers in your company should be specking and buying these machines, not the operation operator side. Because we had a person who was an operator basically buy this machine and spec it out. And it does nothing that we needed to do. Hmm. Like it sure it takes has great resolution for X-rays. All the software end is awful though. Uh, I'm like, I'm curious it, what it doesn't what's what itch it doesn't scratch. Nothing automated. It is seriously a table that you put something in and you can drive to it and like look at an X-ray. Oh, so you you want software integration with basically everything yeah oh yeah like that's my first thing is like i based on like first thing i asked these companies is like show me how i integrate with this because Mm -hmm. i don't want to write programs i already have the plot the backfire platform the platform builds programs for me so Mm -hmm. i need to be able to push that program and you know or change that program in whatever way and make that machine consume that data and this machine is just, it doesn't do any of that. And it's just so very it's, manual. It's very manual and it's frustrating when you Ooh, like want sucks. to take pictures of a lot of boards. It's like, well, now I have to have an operator there and to look and train that operator to look for a certain defect all the time. Mm-hmm. It's a little frustrating. Which, which is, that's exactly uh, to the point we were making earlier. Like, that is a fully functional machine. There's nothing wrong with the machine. Nothing wrong with the it machine. It just doesn't fit your use case. Yes, correct. Because if you have a fully trained x-ray operator, it works great. Right. Right. Which, like you said, from the person who purchased it, that's the way, that was their mindset exactly. in purchasing it. Yeah. Exactly. And x-ray machines are also not cheap, so that one stings a bit, right? Yes, it does. Yeah, so at uh, at WMD a handful of years ago, we purchased a Mamaki UV printer, which oh, that is yeah. that is something I never want to touch ever again. Is UV printing? Um, in fact, it was purchased. Uh, that machine was actually purchased right before I showed up, and and when I showed up, my first job at WMD was getting this printer to work, and I worked on this printer for three years. And I went through three separate employees quitting because of this one machine. Uh, it was Ouch. an absolute nightmare. Um, you uh, combining combining chemistry and electronics in a production environment is is very difficult. And and I say chemistry as in like mixing colors to get it to be right and getting it to cure and getting it to be perfect. There's a reason why there's entire companies dedicated to just marking your product or or making it look nice and things like that. Bringing bringing every little process in-house, it sounds great. It's 
comes with an enormous amount of headaches. And this printer, I really do think we were sold a lemon. Um, it never worked properly. I could never calibrate it. I could never get it to be consistent. I might get a print on it that looked good and then we'd start production and you know my operator would be like hey the first five came out bad should i continue kind of thing and it was just it was a nightmare to to deal with and uh so i absolutely regret us i, I technically didn't I, purchase it but it became my machine yeah. so i remember the 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 one time you gave me a tour of wmd yeah i remember the greenhouse that y'all built for that machine <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. We built, and that was that was supposed to be a temporary thing because we were running some tests to see if the environment, like, okay, think think of think of a, a machine that's already finicky, and then pressure, temperature, and humidity also affect its production capability, and now you're just like banging your head on a table trying to you're trying to juggle a bunch of different variables to make sure that your thing comes out satisfactory for whatever customer you're dealing with. It's a nightmare. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, I certainly regretted buying that. And, and the, the funny thing was when it was purchased, it was a choice between that machine or a slightly more expensive one. Uh, and, and in hindsight, looking back, the slightly more expensive one has an unbelievably good track record of like just being great at this and being way easier to use. And a little bit of money was tried to be saved by purchasing this other machine. And it was a huge mistake. Uh, in fact, I, I, I contract some other people who print on the one that we could have purchased and they come out great every single time. So I, I learned a lot from it. I know what to expect from that process and I can you know, speak intelligently to some, but to an operator who's running the machine uh, about certain things, but I never want to operate one myself. They're so <laughs> awful. So. Yeah. I'm uh, speaking of that. Uh, you, you like what you got yourself into and what you learned from it. Um, we have a, we have the opportunity at Macrofab to set up a vapor phase oven. Ooh, those are cool. Yeah, so I have I have me and you and like a couple other people are like, ooh, shiny new machine. This is gonna be awesome. And then like Troy is like, I never want to run one of these ever again in my life. Why are you doing this? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, hmm, valid but vapor phase. <laughs> <laughs> they, they they are very shiny and they have they have they have their use case that makes them really they do have their use special. Cases. And so I think it's going to be one of those I need to do more research and figure out like what the maintenance because basically they're maintenance heavy reflow ovens. Um, They're very maintenance heavy. And they're Um, process sensitive. And they're process sensitive. So it's like do I think what I'm going to do is I am going to set it up and then play around with it before even attempting to use it for anything in production. Probably want yeah. to do. and just see how bad if, it, if it's bad be like nope let's put it back on the crate and sell it <laughs> wait do you already have one we got one at auction oh nice nice yeah so you so, get to play around with it that's, that's yeah cool. but it's you know okay that, that's a good lesson actually uh if if you're if you're starting out a company or or if if if, if you're 
in the market for buying machines. If there's a machine that seems like it, you know, has all these cool bells and whistles and these features that are like, whoa, that sounds too good to be true. It probably is. Like Vaporface promises to alleviate a lot of your pain points and stuff, and it will. But it's one of those machines that if you know you need it, then you need it. But don't get confused. Like there's, it's it comes with a lot of headaches. So don't be, yeah, don't be enticed too much by that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Like there's a reason why there's a gazillion straight down the middle machines that do the task because that's usually the best way to do it or the easiest way to do it without a lot of headache. Yeah. Uh, so the last question that's under this kind of umbrella of SMT equipment questions is, uh, Eric Smith is curious if you prefer to keep homogeneous lines or do you prefer to optimize some lines to a particular task, less precise, but more throughput. I can come up with a good arguments either way. It sounds like you all keep things pretty dynamic and reconfigure fairly often. Well, he just kind of got to the like the baseline of what macrofab even is, right? <laughs> yeah. So we our line itself is pretty homogeneous. Our, our two lines. Um, we've been running a line and a half for last couple of years now. With our new facility, we actually have two proper lines. We actually have space to put two more in now like i set up that floor so we can put two lines in without even needing to get like electrician or anything out like i make sure all the powers run all the waters ran all the air is run everything's and all the exhaust is in so like Mm -hmm. i'll have to just get machines and put them on the floor Mm -hmm. and then like calibrate them and all that stuff but um i would say it's a good idea to for for your pro- for a process, let's say SMT process. Um, so everything, every, it's con- super convenient if they could all talk to each other and because ma- less programming in terms of you need to learn less software. So we mostly stick with Micronic stuff because all that software works all the same way. Mm-hmm. Now, you, your reflow oven is, there's no Micronic reflow ovens, at least I don't think there are. But there's no reason to program a reflow oven really besides like the, your temp profile. You don't have to like change it a lot per board. Um, Actually, as a quick tangent, I've talked to so many people that when you mention the word oven, there's all these conversations about like custom temp profiles and all these things. It's been my experience that ovens are a lot more set it and forget it than people make them out to be it like depends for sure it depends there are situations where you need custom profiles but they're kind of rare it's custom profiles are more exception to the rule absolutely yeah um most most i would say 90 percent of our boards fit within our normal profile setup yeah at, at wmd we have two profiles we have your everyday profile that works for almost everything. And then we have a super hot profile for things that like eight layer boards with a lot of stuff that, and, and, and I ran profiles on both of them and basically set them up that way where it's just like, look, if you need to absolutely cook something to get it to stick, we have the super <laughs> profile, but the, I can think of two, not even 
products, two boards that we ever run the super hot profile on. Everything else solders beautifully. And yeah, we do we don't have a massive amount of variety, but it's also been my experience at Macrofab that we didn't it's not like we were changing the profile every run. You might change it every very long once in a while. And you change it for like one thing and then you go back to the regular. You go back, profile. yep. Yeah. Um So I would say the thing is about modern machines, even like modern chip shooters, which are designed to do like uh, chip components, like like capacitors and resistors, that whole like less precise, but more throughput. It's not really less precise. The chip shooters are just as accurate as your normal pick and place. It's just it's nozzle setup is dedicated to do one particular type of components one shape of components. Um, that's the big difference uh, between those machines. Whereas like the Micronic might have to switch its nozzle almost every other time because it's picking up different parts all over the place. Because my, the Micronics that we have are really, really high mix, low volume setups, but they still do like 20,000 places an hour. All right. So it's like, it still can cook. Like it can still haul, but- right. It's and a lot of times, like I'll put it this way: if you're buying any modern pick and place, even at a high mix, low volumes like Micronics, they are not going to be your bottleneck, and you're in your process. Your bottleneck is going to be like QA, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. Your right, quality right. insurance is going to be your bottleneck, <laughs> or 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 if you have like. If you have a paste inspection having to be done by an operator sitting at a machine, that'll be your bottleneck. That'll be your bottleneck. Oh man, yeah. Um, if that's if that's anything, is make sure you're doing paste inspection. Either getting a machine that can do it, like some stencil machines can do it by themselves. Sometimes you need your own. Um, we have my 700 paste jetters that we can use as as. Uh, solder paste inspectors too so even if we stencil it we can inspect it with those machines yeah, yeah um that's like that 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 fixed a lot of our process issues a couple of years ago is actually start inspecting paste for everything oh yeah and yeah, even uh, just if if you want to see if you want to see a cool chip shooter video go go to youtube and uh, look up the the fuji cp-643 it's a 20 head chip shooter that just has like a rotating Gatling gun that shoots yeah. passives onto the board. It's really cool. Yeah. So yeah, I would, uh, when you're at that point, you, a lot of your QA is automated. Um, mm -hmm. And so you don't really have to worry about, but I'll put it this way. Most of the time QA is going to be your bottleneck, not your machine. Um, so I wouldn't really worry about that, especially if you're like, um, if you're doing any kind of like hand placements, like you don't have all the, like, let's say feeders to do a run. And so you're, you're hand placing parts on some of them. Um, don't worry about getting that chip shooter then because your hand placing is going to be so much slower than that machine is ever going to be. I, you're, I you're, think... Your price is better off spent buying more feeders and more capability for your machine to assemble more stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, machines like chip shooters fit in that specialty category uh, of if you know you need it, then you need it. 
mm-hmm. but you probably don't need it. And they're way more expensive, and maintenance on them is a bit more rough. Honestly, you you might consider buying two non-chip shooter machines and then splitting your load between them. Like, have one do all your passives, have the other do the big stuff. And so we actually probably still get the same throughput. We actually are doing um, serialized picking places. Okay. So picking place one goes through it, does all the stuff, and then it goes through picking place two. And uh, that way we can load. We basically are trying to eliminate how much hand placing we do. Yeah. Um, we actually have found that there's two two areas that are are that hurt us on quality right now. And it's when we have to hand place is hand placing still uh, isn't 100 um, percent. And then basically board panel size, Boeing doing reflow, mm-hmm. which is a hard, mm-hmm. tough problem to solve, too, without having to like get a carrier for everything. Well, so and your your board size tends to be large. Yeah, it tends to be large too. Um, so we're, we're solving both those problems. The, the solve the first one, which is reducing hand placing. It's like, well, when you fill up one pick and place, what do you do? Put another pick and place in line. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's just the thing. Like, uh, uh, for example, on our Samsung. You know the uh, some of the larger feeders or even the trays and things can take up a very sizable portion, portion of your yeah. feeder space. So um, I've seen in in larger manufacturing facilities, you put all your eight millimeters on one machine, and then you put all your big chips on the on the other machine, and yeah. that actually speeds things up quite a bit. Yeah, that's what what they are doing is like because they can put like two hundred eight millimeters on one machine and then they can put like 30, 40 of the, you know, uh, 32 millimeters or something like that. Plus, right. you know, th- they have a conveyor tray and all that good stuff. Yep. Um, and, uh, I mean the tray on a Micronic takes up like what? 10 slots. It takes up a whole cartridge, which I think right. is 10. Right. Yeah. So you really have to start optimizing that way, I guess. Um, and well, th- if the design is not optimized or if the design just requires that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, that's think, actually, I think going for more is better than going for specialized. Yeah, for sure. Um, cause it does allow us to be a lot more flexible with our lines too. Um, right. one thing we, uh, I want to try to do is, um, like load, one machine for top side and the other machine for bottom side. And so when you, so run the panel on your, your first panel, right. And then have your second machine set up as a pass through, right. And then it just passes through, goes into the reflow. And then on the second run through, you already have your second machine set up, ready to go. So you don't have to break down your machine and set it back up. So you can just keep running through. So while you're running the bottom side of job, let's say a you can all, you can break down your first machine and set it up for job B, the next job on mm-hmm. top side. And then you're running top side B and then your other machine that's doing the bottom side, you're breaking it down and setting it up. So right. if you, if you can, if you can, if you have enough feeder space that works really, really well, because then you basically have 
Because usually you have like one person that's actually running the machine and then one person's like kidding and assembling stuff, loading the machine. You have like a loader basically. And so mm-hmm. if you keep both of those working at the same time, when you maximize, you know, your your hourly rate basically that your machines can earn, but you're also uh, just reducing downtime to basically zero. Yeah. Um, but you have to it's have... It's continuous. Yeah, it's continuous, but you, you basically have to look at it as... You have one machine, um, it's basically cycling, and um, but you're at least keeping your line up and running 100% of the time, or close my, to 100%. My chronics are also good at doing that because you have the magazine trays, and so you can be stuffing parts in even if the mm-hmm. machine's passing boards through it. Yes. You can Whereas just, a lot of other machines, you couldn't do both at the same time. Yeah, because it actually will, the Micronics actually go and pull the panel off the conveyor mm-hmm. instead of it being on the conveyor while it's assembling. Right. It actually pulls it off the conveyor. So if you just have a pass through, yeah, you can just load the machine up and it's just, you. it's basically just a big long conveyor at that point. And I, I really like those machines. Yeah, very expensive <laughs> conveyor. <laughs> I really like Micronics. Um, I wish, I wish they had faster service like a service technician would come out faster, but that mm. that's about my only complaint with them. Also, they're expensive, but I guess all those machines are expensive in one way or another. At, at some point, you know, it all sto- starts to feel the same, right? Yeah, it all feels the same. Yeah. Micronics is way more suited to what you guys are trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't have a lot of ch- like changeover, you probably don't, you can get away with different machines like a Samsung or something like that. But man, we have so many, I mean, I think we do like one machine probably goes through like 10 changeovers a day. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, most that, people do like one a week, maybe. <laughs> when If if we're cranking at work, we might do three changeovers and though they would have to be three small jobs. Yeah. And uh, yeah, because this because something like a Samsung is just not really Set speedy up for at at doing changeovers. Yeah. It's like the universal GSM on changeovers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, the GSM was also dual side, and so you had to walk around to load things and all kind. Yeah, yeah that's just yeah. Is the, the Micronic is intended side? for the high mix? Oh yeah, is your Samsung dual load sided or? It is. Yeah. Okay. It is, but um, when you do the optimization, basically you give it the bill of materials and you give it and you say, this part's on this feeder and all that stuff. Actually, it'll tell you that, but you kind of refine it. And then you press optimize and it'll do all of its, it does as much as it possibly can to minimize the head movement that the machine has Mm -hmm. to do. And so it really does put all your high run parts like right in the middle, right in in what we call the front of the machine. And so, so... for the most part, on a regular run, you, you have to put a few feeders on the back, and there's usually like big stuff like connectors or electrolytic caps or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not that terrible. I remember the optimization routine on the GSM would sometimes be slower than the entire run. <laughs> like actually yeah. clicking that button was slower than just letting it run. Yeah, yeah. So you just put it wherever and just let it go. Yeah. You know? I, uh, no, the optimization on the Samsung is, it's fast. It's a few seconds and it, 
figures everything. Well, remember, this was running OS2 warp. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> God, that machine was so big. Yeah. It was gargantuan for what it did. And, like, I'm even... <sighs> Guys, I'm thinking back on it. There was there was like parts of it that didn't even function or we never used or just like ah yeah. forget about that. Like that's remember just the tray thing. loader? Uh maybe. The tray feeder <laughs> that had a conveyor, so it would drop it was like a tray like a stack of you put a stack of trays in it, so you could put like thirty two trays in this thing. And yeah. it would it had its own pick and place head in it. So it would pick a part off the tray and put it on a conveyor. And then the conveyor went into the big picking place, and then it would pick it up and put it on your board. That's so overly complicated. Yeah. <laughs> when that worked, that was so cool to watch. I think I only got that thing to work like half a dozen times, maybe. Oh, that was that big, like, bulbous thing that hung off the side of yeah. it, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. 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 That. Yeah. I think I spent many many hours of my life trying to get that machine to work that that bulbous thing that hung off the side yeah <laughs> all right any more closing comments about smt equipment i don't i don't think so and i think then, we should the, the, save the rest of this for next week i think so i didn't know i didn't know we were going to talk this long about it uh you know w w one thing to note the uh assembly assembly equipment it's all configurable and you can connect it all together there's an interface called smema where you connect you know uh different machines to other machines and that just allows them to very rudimentarily talk to each other and say yeah. hey i can't accept a board or whatnot yeah i can't I, accept the board i can't accept the board and also on the other end hey i have a board or right. i don't have a board and it's really really simple the the one thing that that you can get caught up in is making an assembly line too complicated. They don't need to be complicated 99% of the time. Like mm -hmm. you have an input, you have an output and you have usually humans servicing the inputs and the outputs. And that's usually enough. Yes. Like it, you can get overly complex with conveyors going all different directions, or I've seen conveyors that'll flip your boards over for you Those uh, are really for processing. Cool. They're really cool, but like, that's about like for the most part it's another one of those things if you need if you know you need that then you need it and you have a facility the, that requires that but the most of the time you don't that our lines are doing those are not needed now no. there's you know backflip has the whole marketplace for cms too and so we have some cms that have that stuff for our high volume stuff yep um but like i don't run those <laughs> But I've done. I've, I've seen, been to CMs that have had them and watched them work, and they're, they're pretty nice. But you know, you're talking like, you know, you're doing like fifty thousand plus panels of a run. Right, right, right. I, I've I've seen places have conveyors that have conditional statements in the conveyor where it's if this, then it'll direct and and drive your board to a different location or for yeah. double-sided stuff it will it'll turn back and like deliver the board back to the the beginning yep. and like auto stack them into trays super cool great for really high volume stuff for for anything under you know anything in reasonable quantity you you kind of don't need that so if in other words if you're thinking about your 
factory of the future like it it actually factory pays to not go overboard with this kind of stuff everything you buy is another headache <laughs> that is true that is yeah. 100% true yeah as i'm going to fire up a vapor phase oven in the next like month or so <laughs> all you need is conditional conveyors that are like does this go to the regular oven or does this go off to the vapor oven 99.999 percent time it's the regular oven well, yeah the but vapor it needs phases... to automatically connect to the macrofab system so it can pull in information on the yeah, order on and automatically go in the right direction <laughs> the problem with the vapor phase it's also those are batch ovens too yeah right because yeah, it's like it's a chamber with a that phase change fluid in it I can't wait to actually get that to work. It's, it's, that's, that's a machine that Steven and I have always wanted when we were at Macrofab. We talked about it a bunch of times, yeah. but it was all like pie in the sky kind of stuff. Because yeah, they were just, really expensive at the time. They were and we really got, expensive. Got and also like, like, if you ever tried to say like, Hey, what do you think about a vapor phase to the, you know, the bean counters that were like, explain the use of why you would need them. And I'm like, it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> it solders very dense components really well it's about its use case it also doesn't necessarily subject them to way high temperatures that's true well which is small cool. temp parts so basically yeah. it allows you to it's sui v for pcbs <laughs> that's right, what it is right, right. It, it brings them up to the solder temperature and then yeah but it down. allows it to heat soak at that temperature Whereas like a normal reflow, you have like your 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 hottest oven is like 280, which is 280 Celsius, which is well above what all the parts are specced at. But the the parts never get up to there because they peak and then they're out of the oven cooling back down. So they it's, they yeah they it's never sous it's sous vide versus making cookies where you're timing the cookies coming out of the oven such that they're at the right temperature that's like regular reflow whereas yeah. vapor phase is like sous vide where it comes up to the temperature and they don't get exposed to above that temperature yeah, and you can let it sit at that temperature for really however how long you need it to so that the big dense components can actually get up to that temperature it's it's arguably um a bit more I don't gentle in a way on components. Yeah, it is. As opposed to just blasting them and hoping that their thermal mass meets equilibrium at the yeah, melting but all the components that are all different thermal masses and different sizes and densities all have to reach that temperature at roughly the same time. It's honestly surprising that regular reflow works as well as it does <laughs> when you talk about it that way. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and and the differential heating based on the the you know the leading edge of the board is getting nuked whereas like the back edge of the board is still at a cooler temperature like you don't get that same kind of differential in vapor phase the uh first oven we ever had i know we're, go we're going over time now the first oven we ever had was a three zone gold flow and the first product we ever made was one of my pinball boards on it and the pinball board was so long Part of the board would be outside the reflow oven. The other part would be at pink temperature. It'd be it'd be liquidous, <laughs> liquidous, because that board is fourteen inches long, and yep. the, I think the effective reflow zone of all those of that oven was like twelve. 
that's that's exactly where something like the Heller comes into play, where you have eight zones where you have and the zones and, are huge. and the zones are wider. They're much yeah, larger, much bigger. Each. Yeah. In fact, I, I'm holding up a board that's 450 millimeters long. This board would be absolutely in multiple phases throughout that uh, throughout that oven, and that's like that's not fantastic for the board or no, for, the parts for the parts on the board. At all. Yeah, it's no. pretty bad. Vapor phase kind of solves that. Yeah. All right. Any more? Any more things? No, I think that's it for me. So that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Steve and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. You can find it at MacFab.com slash Slack.